In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. All my life I have been fascinated by human language. I frequently marvel at the sound of certain words in other tongues and am amazed at how difficult some of them are to pronounce for an English-speaking person trying to master, for example, Russian or German or Mandarin. But as hard as some words are to pronounce in foreign languages, the hardest words for human beings to say in any language is, I forgive you. I forgive you. For these words require more than the practice of the tongue. They demand the practice of the heart. If anything a blessed Lord is known for, and I would say this even among people who have no faith but are somewhat familiar with Christianity, it is his constant maxim, forgive those who have offended you and you will be forgiven. It is one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. He put it into the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Of the seven petitions of the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, this one is the only one of those petitions that he insisted on and that he commented on afterwards when he said, If you do not forgive others their offenses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you yours. Pope St. Leo the Great remarked, Mercy itself wishes you to be merciful. Righteousness itself wishes you to be righteous, so that the Creator may shine forth in his creature and the image of God be reflected in the mirror of the human heart as it imitates his qualities. Excellent, excellent. It was a sermon that he gave many, many centuries ago on the Beatitudes. Whenever we contemplate the passion and death of our blessed Lord and Savior, we are struck by the words he uttered from the cross in that three-hour period on the day we call Good Friday as he lay in, on, on, in agony and about to expire. Seven sentences that are carefully recorded in the four Gospels, what we now refer to as the seven last words of Jesus. And what is the very first one? It is this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can there be a greater example in all of human history than these words issuing from the parched lips of holiness itself? Could there be any greater injustice, any greater offense committed 
against any human being than the one committed against the divine Savior. Yet he forgives. He begs his heavenly Father to pardon them. He even excuses them. We know very well that by our own sins we were implicated in that gross injustice, in that ignominious horror of our Lord's crucifixion. Then, now, and always, he forgives us. His words are permanently etched in, in the life of Christians. He begs his heavenly Father to forgive us. He even excuses us. How understandably we cry out again and again with that prayer that Our Lady gave to the children of Fatima, which we customarily insert in the rosary between mysteries. O oh, my Jesus, forgive us our sins. Save us from the fires of hell. Lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most in need of your mercy. One of the wonderful recent additions to our Catholic liturgy is Mercy Sunday, now the Sunday after Easter, thanks to the initiative of Pope John Paul II, St. John Paul, who universalized the Divine Mercy devotion, which Jesus had inspired in the soul of Sister, now St. Faustina. The Gospel of the Mass of the Sunday after Easter, as you know well, is taken from the Gospel of St. John. It begins with the sudden appearance of the risen Lord to the apostles gathered in the cenacle on Easter Sunday evening and concludes with a repeated appearance exactly one week later. On both occasions, we see a display of divine mercy. First, our Lord breathes audibly on his apostles and then bestows on them the power to forgive sins, a power which is uniquely his as Lord and Savior. Whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven them. Whose sins you shall retain, they are retained. The whole church is always seen in this dramatic gesture and in these solemn words, the precise moment of the institution of the great sacrament of reconciliation, the sacrament of divine mercy, which will heal, comfort, and strengthen the people of God throughout history from that point on. Truly, to confess one's sins to Jesus Christ, represented here and now by one of his ordained priests, and to hear the authoritative words, I absolve you from your sins, is to experience in the very depths of one's being the mercy of God, the Father of all mercies. The Gospel of that Mass concludes, as we know, with the episode of St. Thomas, the Apostle who was absent the week before and who stubbornly refused to accept the testimony of his brother Apostles that they had seen the risen Christ, who had shown them his wounds. Now Jesus appears again, and immediately he invites Thomas to come forth and touch those very wounds, 
the wounds of divine mercy. Thomas, bring here your finger and see my hands, and bring here your hand and put it into my side, and be not unbelieving, but believing. Certainly it is a particular display of mercy on the part of our Lord to that individual apostle, but it is also a display of mercy to each one of us. For the Divine Savior invites us over and over again to do with faith, with hope, with love, and with contrition what Thomas was invited to do in the upper room that Sunday, the Sunday after Easter. We too cry out with the Apostle, My Lord and my God. We began this meditation with those very words after making the sign of the cross. We said, My Lord and my God, speaking directly to Jesus. In fact, every time we hear those words spoken, or we say them ourselves quietly, or silently, or out loud, when we are alone perhaps, we can imagine ourselves in the upper room, right there like Thomas. We're right there in that scene. And we are invited by Jesus to reach out with our finger and to place it into the place of the nails in his hands. In the place I handed to his side. And to renew our faith, our hope, our love, and our sorrow for sin. Our sin, the sins of the world. My Lord and oh my God, we say it every time we approach the sacrament of healing and mercy. Whether we say it or not, we are saying it by our action. We say it every time we approach the altar of sacrifice to contemplate and renew our faith in Jesus Christ, present in the appearance of bread and wine, and when we come to receive Jesus on the appearance of bread and or wine, consecrated, notice, for the forgiveness of sins, for the forgiveness of sinners. My Lord and my God, I always like to think that those five words have made Thomas truly immortal in the great Christian tradition. And we're living off that tradition. We're so grateful to Thomas for his stubborn refusal to believe what his brother apostles told him. Otherwise, we would not have had the second episode in the upper room. And that is so applicable to us. William Shakespeare coined a phrase called the quality of mercy. It refers to a plea by Portia in his play, The Merchant of Venice. It occurs in Act 4, Scene 1, set in a Venetian court of justice. It is a speech in which Portia begs Shylock for mercy. And this is the quote in Shakespearean Elizabethan English. The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as a gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. Tis mightiest in the mightiest. It becomes the throned monarch better than his crown. His scepter shows forth the force of temporal power, the attribute to awe and majesty, wherein doth sit the dread and fear of kings. But mercy is above the sceptered sway. It is enthroned in the hearts of kings, 
It is an attribute to God himself. An earthly power doth then show likest God's when mercy seasons justice. Therefore, Jew, though justice be thy plea, consider this, that in the course of justice, none of us should see salvation. We do pray for mercy, and that same prayer doth teach us all to render the deeds of mercy. I've spoken thus much to mitigate the justice of thy plea, which if, thy fo if thou follow, the strict court of Venice must needs give sentence against the merchant there. I really is beautiful, eloquent, and profoundly theological. This is, in a way, a paraphrase of the whole gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, the God's spell, the good news of salvation, the good news of salvation from what? From sin, for eternal life. Jesus Christ is mercy in human form. The word incarnate is God's divine mercy, the mercy of God the Father, the Father of mercies, now in present form in human history, left behind in this powerful sacrament. And at times, even if we don't have access to that sacrament, or for whatever reason, we're not receiving the sacrament. At any moment, we could turn to God in desire, in act of contrition, that is, a prayer of sorrow for sin. St. Maria, my spiritual father, did use the word contrition, but more often than not, he used the expression acts of sorrow of love instead of acts of contrition. Actos de dolor de amor, acts of sorrow of love. The hymn contrition is love. We love God, and therefore we, we feel bad, we feel sorry, because we, I, have offended him. Lord, I have offended you. Forgive me. The more we do this, the better. But also, that is prelude to the moment of the encounter, the sacramental encounter, where we not only desire forgiveness, but we hear the words of forgiveness. That mercy which seasons justice. Notice the root meaning of the word forgive. In Latin, it is perdonare, which means to give thoroughly. And in English, it is also rooted in the verb to give. To forgive is to give completely. Pope Francis, uh, present Holy Father, mentioned the same thing in an address that he gave to the World Meeting of Families last year, 2020, when he observed, quote, There is no such thing as a perfect family. Without the practice of forgiveness, families can grow sick and gradually collapse. To forgive means to give something of yourself. By the power of his forgiveness, we too can forgive others, if we really want to. Isn't that what we pray for when we say the Our Father? Children learn to forgive when they see their parents forgiving each other. If we understand this, we can appreciate the grandeur of Jesus' teaching about fidelity and marriage. Far from a cold legal obligation, it is above all a powerful promise of God's own fidelity to his word 
and His unfailing grace. Christ died for us so that we, in turn, might forgive and be reconciled with one another. In this way, as individuals and as families, we can know the truth of St. Paul's words, that when all else passes away, love never ends. That was from his address to the World Meeting of Families, Dublin, August 25th, 2020. In the course of life, we all offend, wittingly or unwittingly. And, be, and because we offend others, we should apologize. We should ask their forgiveness. Perhaps we find that fairly easy to do, to say I'm sorry, even though at times those words are very difficult to say. But we also have wounds, some self-inflicted wounds, Many, perhaps, receive from others, parents, brothers, sisters, spouses, children, friends, strangers, in the course of life, what to do? Join them to Christ's wounds. Thank you, Lord, for this blow, this wound which I offered to you, which I joined to your wounds, to your passion. Then pray for the person who have wounded you. As Jesus did on the cross, Father, forgive them. St. Josemaria, in a point of his, in his book, The Way, 452, force yourself, if necessary, always to forgive those who offend you from the very first moment, for the greatest injury or offense you can suffer from them is nothing compared to what God has forgiven you. Then, try to forget the matter. To use a, an old... Uh, folksy expression, bury the hatchet. I would say, bury the hatchet, but without the hatchet handle, handle sticking out of the ground. Let it go. Let it go and let go of it. Give it over to the Lord. Stand there in your mind's eye at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, I place in your hands, nailed to the cross, all these things which I consider offense against me by another human being. All of them. I bury them at the foot of the cross, if you like. Sometimes you could imagine yourself standing at the foot of the cross of Jesus, locking arms with Mary and with John, the faithful disciple, Mary, the faithful mother, and looking at Jesus who looks at you. His eyes are eyes of love and mercy. And your, your eyes, the eyes of pain and woundedness, perhaps, and you disengage yourself momentarily from Mary and John. You walk up to the foot of the cross and you step, look down into the earth below. And there's a little shovel, a little spade there. And you dig a hole deep enough to place in that hole that package that, that, that contains all the offenses that you have received all the wounds that have been inflicted on you in your lifetime. Drop them there and then cover them over with that earth. Step back, take up your place once again at the foot of the cross. Lock arms once again with the Blessed Mother, the Sorrowful Mother, and with John, the faithful disciple. Look at Jesus who looks at you with even greater love. And you're able to say with him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I beg forgiveness 
of everyone who may have offended me in my lifetime by thought, word, deed, action, omission, what have you, big or small, no matter what it is. Because I know that I, above all, am in need of forgiveness and mercy. We turn now to Mary, the woman whom we invoke as mother of mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. We ask her, turn then thine eyes of mercy toward us. For sure, we beg her to intervene before the throne of divine mercy. Beseeching on our behalf that God shower his mercy and forgiveness upon us, the poor banished children of Eve, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. But can we sincerely say this prayer without intending to turn our own eyes of mercy toward those who may have offended us in some way in the distant or recent past. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.